You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome everyone to Forward Progress. It's Super Wild Card Weekend, Best Bets Edition, live here on the Forward Progress YouTube channel, part of the Hammer Betting Network, and as always, powered by Pinnacle Sportsbook. We got our usual crew here again, Dr. Eric Eager, top right-hand corner, Suma, bottom right, Hitman, fresh off of a round. Uh, it went pretty well, a couple birdies I noticed there, Hitman, on uh, on the grin. The game's coming together now. How are you still golfing in this weather right now? You know, I got to do something to distract myself on, on Wednesday, you know, something to distract myself from my record on this show. So that's what I choose to do. Look, look mental toughness to play in the cold. A lot of cold weather games we're going to talk about. Mental toughness you need. Something that I have, and I don't know about you, Rob, but I have it. I, I definitely do not. Once the temperatures hit frigid, I'm in my house as uh, much as humanly possible. I'm not. I'm glad I'm not playing at Arrowhead this week. Uh, in zero degree Fahrenheit weather, uh, even worse than that with the wind chill. But we'll get to all of that here shortly. We're going to cover all, all six Super Wildcard Weekend games here on the Best Bet Show this week. Normally we pick four or five games. There's six playoff games. We might as well get to all of them. That doesn't mean we're going to have an opinion on all of them, but we will talk about them and give you our point of view. We'll end the show with a best bet from each of us. And of course, we'll try to make this as forward-looking as possible. Lines of move, we're giving our opinions based off of the current lines. Now, as always, quick recap of the previous week. After four straight weeks of 500 or better, shit hit the fan last week. Eric managed to prevent this team from getting reverse swept. However, you'll notice that for the first time ever, that double L next to Hitman, the season from hell just keeps getting worse and worse. I don't know how it's happening, but it's happening. I got cooked with the Panthers last week. I'd rather not relive the sequence of events that led to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers cover. Uh, Suma and Hitman take the L's with the Bears. Hitman takes an additional L with the 49ers. Hey, good closing line value, Hitman. You, you did half the job right there. There you go. He did, he did the only job he could do. Right? Yes, like, you can't play the game for the players. <laughs> can't true. coach he, the he, job he, for the coach. It was twenty to seven in the third quarter. There, 49ers looked pretty comfortable, and then you know, yeah. If you remember, a lot of my handicap was the uh, the Niners playing their starters, like Kittle, Iuke, some of the Samuel, and I, I don't think Kittle played, but some of them did play. They they had a nice thirteen point lead at half, but Carson Wentz, well, man, listen, seventeen it, carries. It's not going unnoticed that you still show your face in public. Uh, Hunter says props to Hitman for still showing up. Uh, but yes, he is props here. to Simon for showing up, by the way. Simon? Where, do I, where, where do I see? Simon Hunter. Hunter, Hunter 11 I... here. Oh, Hunter 11. Now I got it. Wow, that went way it over my head, Eric. <laughs> it took me way, way too long. Way I over might, my I head. Might, 
I might be selling my syndicate if, if things keep going bad, if, if he wants to purchase it. So there might not be a syndicate to sell if it keeps going like this. The syndicate might be totally underwater. Uh, how do we do with the Leanser board here, uh, Jason? If we got that prepped for this week, I don't even remember what we did last week. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Pizza man still on top. 65 and a, I can't even believe that, really. I should be doing a lot better with my betting if that's what the leanser board is looking like. Uh, but not bad. Not bad week overall from the leans per usual. Best bets. I don't know what to tell you people at this point. Maybe find someone else to tail or not. Do whatever you want to do with your own money. Suma's in the chat, as always. If you guys got any questions over the course of the show, he does respond in real time. We'll try to bring up as much on screen. Try to get as many people involved as we can. But let's kick it off with Saturday afternoon game. Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. The Browns knew they'd be going on the road for their AFC wildcard uh, round playoff matchup for a while now. The winner of the AFC South, though, was in question. Houston got some help last week. They had to win their game, which they did. But the Jacksonville Jaguars lose to the Tennessee Titans. Now, these teams play on Christmas Eve. That was a big game for Joe Flacco. Amari Cooper just absolutely torched this defense. However, C.J. Stroud did not play in that game. He will be playing this time around. Suma, we'll get things started with you here. Current market at Pinnacle, which everyone can see at the bottom of the screen. Browns minus 2.5, minus 101. Total in the game is sitting at 44.5. What are your thoughts, Suma, on Browns and Texans this week? Yeah, that game was almost at three, came down, and today we, we saw another push down a little bit. We had the release from Joy Tunes and then the Denzel Ward news that he might be questioned to play after he tweaked his, his knee or something. Um, I think that Denzel Ward matters a ton when you consider the, the style of defense that the Browns are playing, lots of single high, cover one, cornerbacks on an island, is, is, et cetera. Um, I find this fascinating. So I will start at what could go wrong for the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans defense is great against the run. Fourth in EPA per play, second in success rate. They got torched a little bit by Jonathan Taylor last week, but overall on the season, they have been a very good run defending unit. The problem is that they don't defend the pass very well. Uh, they they have also been banked up all season at cornerback. Derek Stingley missed like eight games or something. Their defensive line is still pretty much banked up. On the season, they rank 22nd in EPA per dropback and success rate. However, they rank bottom three in EPA per play and success rate against play action. So they are very good at defending the run, but as soon as opposing offenses use play action against them, they fall down to like the, one of the worst defenses in the league with a success rate of, I think, four, uh, 54% on play action dropbacks. So what are the Browns doing on offense? Since Joe Flacco took over, uh, Kevin Stefanski is calling, I think, the highest or second highest pass rate on early downs, on, on neutral early downs. They also got the Texans um, like uh, four weeks ago in that matchup extremely pass-heavy, bombs down the field, and it feels like with Joe Flacco, Kevin Stefanski can call more of his own personal choice offense, like lots of under center, tight formations, heavy play action with stronger formations, and not the shotgun spread-heavy style that Deshaun Watson wanted to play and that they tried to implement over the summer. So I think that stylistically, the, the Browns offense matches up very well with the Texans, 
The problem though is that Joe Flacco is completely boomer bust. Like it's either a big bomb down the field or an interception or an incompletion or whatever. So they are not consistently moving the ball across that um, Joe Flacco sample size. He had uh, one or two great games, but he also has thrown tons, tons of, of interceptions. So there is a lot of variance involved with that offense. And I think that if the Houston Texans get healthy along their defensive line, they might also get the better out of that Browns pass protection unit. So it pretty much comes down to me. Can Joe Flacco consistently move the ball, reduce mistakes, maybe don't throw interceptions? And I think that is what it will ultimately uh, come down to when it comes to how much can the Browns score. On the other side, it's also not that great on paper for the Houston Texans because they are facing arguably the best um, defense in the league. Uh, lots of single high. CJ Stroud has been very good against single high. I think that comes from the um, uh, Shanahan coaching tree. Like They know how to attack cover uh, uh, single high in general. Uh, they were also pretty successful with like heavy uh, bootleg and play action stuff where they only have two or three routes developing down the field against these single high looks. However, Cedric Stroud, he's much better against cover three zone coverage than cover one. It's not entirely bad. It's somewhere around every, uh, around below average when we look at EPA per play and success rate. But he's not that great against cover one. And that's what the uh, Cleveland Browns defense likes to run a ton. Like they run like uh, 65 or 70% single high in general and a, a very healthy dose of cover one. So that might not help the Houston Texans that much. Also, Cedric Stroud, very good from clean pockets. Not that great against pressure. He hasn't faced that much pressure this season, but it might be differently against the Cleveland Browns. So I think that stylistically, the Houston Texans have a few matchup advantages. That's, I guess, also what has led the the, the line driving towards the Cleveland Browns earlier in the week. Uh, also, a rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. There's more experience for Joe Flacco and for um, Kevin Stefanski. But I still think, however, that this game might come down to which quarterback has the better day is more consistent throwing the ball, can create more explosive plays. And I still would trust Cedric Stroud a little bit more than Joe Flacco when it comes to uh, when I'm asking myself which quarterback I do trust to have the cleaner, more consistent game. I completely agree that the Cleveland Browns should be favored, but I still uh, lean slightly towards the Houston Texans because I cannot quite get towards two and a half. I think one and a half, two is the... This is my preferable range for this game. Eric, I saw you nodding a little bit there, especially when Sumo was talking about trusting CJ Stroud a little bit more than he trusts Joe Flacco right now. I think it's a very interesting matchup because I, I think Flacco is a little bit overrated by the general public right now because he's actually just so much better than what they were getting at quarterback in Deshaun mm -hmm. Watson and DTR and PJ Walker. But he has turned the ball over at a pretty high rate. And then there is that stylistic matchup. It got mentioned in the chat here um, by Sam, but CJ Stroud against man coverage and Cleveland plays a ton of man coverage. So that's kind of being baked into the number as well. What do you make of the head-to-head -head quarterback matchup here and just the game overall? Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why I think you need a model for, you know, to, to price games, because I think this is like this weird quartet where 
Stroud, you probably trust him more than Flacco. Uh, you know, I, I do relative to the market. But then at the same time, we saw how the coach of the year odds moved towards uh, D'Amico Ryans after that Saturday game relative to Stefanski. But I trust Stefanski way more than I trust D'Amico. I don't trust D'Amico Ryans slash Bobby Sloak to coach their way out of a paper bag in this game. Um, so I, I sort of look at that kind of quartet and I so I, I you know, I, I have to put that into the stew and, and look at that as well. I, I look at the fact that Houston played by our numbers at Sumer Sports, the third easiest schedule in the NFL, whereas the Browns played the, the, you know, the 15th easiest schedule in the NFL. And, and so I kind of put that around. I agree with Suma. I make this number one and a half. Um, so, you know, I, I probably would support a teaser. Uh, you're, you're probably not going to get that teaser with the ward news all that, all that much longer. Um, the problem, the problem is the variance with Flacco and the variance with which the Houston Texans play offense might make you, you know, sort of shy away from that as well as the variance with the other leg that you're going to get in Cowboys Packers might sh make you shy away. So I, I don't like yeah, I'm probably not going to be on this game just for those reasons uh, altogether, but I make the game one and a half. So there's not a ton of value there unless you can get a Houston three, which you're not going to get. Hey man, that's, that's two of uh, it's Eric and Suma both saying that they make the Browns favored, but not by this much. And that just doesn't create a valuable bet in the, in the Texans here because they're essentially in no man's land. Are you in a similar boat for this game? Yeah. You know, when, when this game first got announced, my first thought, was that I was going to be pro Cleveland. And I just thought that Cleveland matched up with them pretty well. CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud this year is 20th out of 32 in EPA per play against man coverage. Cleveland was second in the NFL in pressure rate this year. And when they played against Houston, they were in the first game, obviously Stroud wasn't the quarterback, but they had their way with the Houston offensive line. They pressured their opposing their quarterbacks on 43% of dropbacks. Stroud did have some big pressure splits this year. He was 19th in yards per attempt versus pressure. And then on the other end of the ball, Houston is a pass funnel. They're playing really good run defense, but getting torched through the air. And all Cleveland wants to do is throw the ball at Joe Flacco, and they're throwing it 5% above expectation. So I was thinking that Cleveland matched up well with them. And then this line, just, you know, I was expecting like minus one pick them minus one, especially because just a few weeks ago when Stroud was not the quarterback, Cleveland closed 3.25 in that game. If you remember, that's like one of the rare best bet wins that I actually had. That's why that game sticks out so much. There was only two of them, you know, so you got to hold on to those. But um, yeah, you know, the, the line just kind of came in came in a little higher than I wanted. So like just by like pure numbers, I feel like Houston maybe has slight value, but especially at two and a half, but matchup wise, I was kind of directionally looking towards Cleveland. So just probably ends up being a pass for me. Fair enough. Uh, what's most interesting to me about this is obviously the Denzel Ward situation today. And if you actually look back the weeks 12 to 14, when the Browns did not have Denzel Ward in the lineup, they actually played the same amount of man coverage as they did for the remainder of the season. So they didn't really alter their playing style based off of him not being there. But you also have Greg Newsom on the injury report right now as well at corner. Don't know what the status is going to be there overall, but it'll be very interesting to see if they have to shift more towards some zone just because they could be without potentially cornerback uh, one and cornerback two. Martin Emerson has been targeted a lot 
when Denzel Ward's not been on the field, he's actually held up in a lot of those spots. If you recall, one was against uh, the, the Rams earlier this year as well uh, in, in a pretty interesting game for, you know, close game for the majority of it. But that to me is the fascinating part of this is how the injury report ends up playing out. I'm in the same boat personally as Eric and Suma, where I'm like hovering in this Browns minus one and a half fair line range, but just don't see this being a super valuable bet unless you wanted to play everything on the board this week. So uh, I think it's like kind of a consensus lean Texans at current market here, but a, a question, just a show of hands really quickly. If this line is, is at, as is right now, and Denzel Ward got ruled out. Would you bet the plus two and a half Texans? Show of hands if you would. I, I'd probably, I'd be more inclined to tease them. But yeah. Yeah. I'd take money line. I mean, money yeah. line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, the problem with like teasers this week, I've just been, I've been trying to find a dance partner with Dallas, you know, and really the only option this week is Houston. But I was kind of saying, the matchup, I didn't love it. So, but yeah, if Ward got ruled out, probably end up teasing Dallas and and uh, Houston. All right, fair enough. Before we get into our second game here, I just want to remind everyone we have odds scrolling at the bottom of the screen for every single one of these Super Wildcard Weekend games. These odds are courtesy of Pinnacle Sportsbook, and I say it every single week. It's not a joke. You'll often look at these numbers and you'll be like, "Well, I'm going to bet the Browns or the Texans or the over or the under." My sportsbook doesn't have the same price here. I'm betting into a market that has a worse price. And that's because Pinnacle prides themselves on low margins and everyday competitive odds. So make sure you bet smart, bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook for the past 25 years. Years. If you do sign up to Pinnacle in Canada, use code HAMMER when signing up. It helps support the show. You must be 19 plus, not available in the US. And as always, please play responsibly. All right. Game number two, Saturday night. It's going to be a cold one. We've heard that a, a bunch this week. At Arrowhead, the Chiefs are hosting the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, these teams played earlier in the season. It was in Suma's backyard. Well, not technically in Frankfurt, other side of Germany, but it was in Germany nonetheless. Uh, the Dolphins lost that game 21-14. to Chiefs built up a 21-0 lead. Ultimately, ended up being a close game, but Kansas City held on. That spoiled the Tyreek Hill return to Kansas City because the game was in Germany. This is the homecoming for Tyreek Hill. The revenge game, as it's being called right now, with Tyreek Hill against his former C, uh, former team. Excuse me. Kansas City wins the AFC West again, their eighth consecutive year doing so. The Dolphins ended the season with a ton of injuries and are going to go into this game with a lot of injury concerns across the board. Um both in their secondary, offensive line, wide receiver. We saw them this week add Bruce Irvin and Justin Houston to the roster as well to strengthen the linebacking core. So a lot of moving parts for the Miami Dolphins. Eric, we'll start with you here first. Current market at Pinnacle is the Chiefs now up to minus four and a half. They've been bet out since the early numbers. The total's dropping, 44, now juiced pretty heavily towards the under at minus 117. Presumably, a lot of that is because of the temperature in the game and how it could impact scoring. What are your thoughts on this matchup, Eric? Yeah, if I can get a good price on under 44, you know, like basically, you know, flat, like minus 110 or, or below, which that was like early in the week at Pinnacle, it was like minus 105 at, at times. Uh, I, I consider it last week, 
Uh, remember, I brought up in my 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 best play uh, with under you know fifty or so on uh, Miami Buffalo. That Miami is a top five team uh, in terms of surrendering runs of fifteen yards or more. Uh, two opponents. Last week, we were talking on the live stream. James Cook couldn't even get to 15 carries, but he couldn't even get to, what, 30 yards rushing on those 13 carries he got. And so, and I know that their defensive line is injured, but it was injured last week. It, it's a structural thing for them defensively. I know they have like an immaculate grid defensive line this week, but I still think structurally they're going to be fine. Now, if you look at our Sumer Sports playoff preview, you will notice the Chiefs are 30th in run EPA allowed, which ha is a problem. However, if you look at the last like four or five weeks, so from week eight to 14 on, the Chiefs are actually okay in rush EPA allowed. They're like 13th or whatever. So that's not actually that, that bad. You couple that with the fact that in their secondary, right, Legereus Sneed, uh, Trent McDuffie, they give you kind of that inside-outside matchup of a small corner who can match up against the quick shiftier guys with a big corner who can match up against the bigger guys that can match up against really good passing games in it. So let's say, let's say the, let's say this thing turns in the Dolphins direction injury wise and weather wise, right? The weather's a little bit better than projected and the injuries on Hill and Waddle are better than projected. I still think the chiefs are resilient enough defensively for this thing to go under the chiefs offense to me is not going to play well enough for this thing to go over on their accord. It, it's going to be like whether or not the chiefs defense is going to play well enough to stop this. And it, to me, it's going to be the run game. And I think the Chiefs, with the acquisition of Mike Pinnell, who was on their first Super Bowl team uh, in 2019, in the stead of Derek Nottie, just a little bit every single game, has been enough for this Chiefs defense to be at least not as gooey against the run as they were in the first part of the season. I think that this game plays to the under for that reason, less so than the weather uh, it, it, on Saturday night in Kansas City. Good points. I see a few things in the chat along the lines of KC will look good against this defense. Miami defense is switched. Jeez, they're playing Melvin Ingram. Come on. My only rebuttal, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, Suma, is that I think there's this expectation that the Chiefs are just going to flick a switch because it's the playoffs. And if we look at their offense over the course of the past several weeks, okay, 25 points against the Bengals. Bengals have a bad defense. It took them a while to separate in that game. Previous week, they lose at home to the Raiders. They can't do anything. Previous home game to that, they lose at home to the Bills. They can't move the ball. They went to Green Bay, who doesn't have a very good defense, in my opinion, and they struggled to put up points there. A home game against the Eagles earlier with the Eagles defense really suffering in the latter half of the year, couldn't score. So we have like this large sample of them just really not looking good on offense, but the expectation is that all of a sudden it's going to flip. I'm curious, Suma, what you think about this game and whether or not you think that Miami's defense has a chance to hold up, or if this is the game where Kansas City's offense finally gets right. I don't think that they can suddenly uh, push any button and they will all of a sudden look like the same old Chiefs. I think that there are too many deep issues, and we might see it in the, in the next round when they play a, a tougher defense. I think that this week they will be just fine and just okay and... Just okay to 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 score enough points to win this game, in my opinion, because so the Miami Dolphins defense, like this classic Big Fangio, like they play some single high, but they also play like tons of cover six. They call like five percent cover zero blitzes, and he usually wants to put an umbrella on top. And then what the issue was early in the season that the secondary. Uh, 
Jalen Ramsey came in, and then the secondary was much better connected to the pass rush. So there, there was much more cohesion. So all of a sudden, teams were not throwing that much to one side of the field, more to the other. Defense or secondary was able to hold up more. Pass rush was able to get home more. And all of a sudden, the, the, the whole system worked much better together. So now you take away their two top two pass rushers. And Andrew Van Ginkel is also a very good rotational player. So three pass rushers. Mm -hmm. And then Zaven Howard did not practice today. Javon Holland did not practice today. And Deshaun Elliott did not practice today. I think Holland and Elliott are much closer than, than Xavier and Howard. I think that um, they bas basically indicated that Howard might not be able to go. So I have him leaning out right now. So we are looking at a Miami uh, defense that is without a pass rush, with two backup pass rushers, with issues in their secondary, going against a Chiefs defense uh, offense that can basically pretty much dink it down the field and i don't think that mahomes will be put under much stress from the from the defense and if vic fangio calls the occasional cover zero or, or, or heavy blitz like he did against josh allen i, I mean jo uh, patrick mahomes despite all the issues this season he's still very good against the blitz which he has been in his entire career so i think this is a very good matchup for the for the chiefs offense and i think they will look better this week than they really are and if they do, I wouldn't be surprised if we are looking at the same old Chiefs from, from earlier this season in the in, in the next one. I think this is a decent matchup. And for the Dolphins, I mean, offensive line is still not very good. Jalen Waddle likely not at a hundred percent. Might be on some sort some sort of a snap count, or might be used a, a little bit more like a decoy. And in these weather conditions against Steve Spagnuolo, basically coming off a bye week, uh, I mean. I, I don't like all the prospects for Miami. Uh, I find it hard to get to this current price, but I still could not bet Miami right now. Uh, Michael in the chat says, if Fangio's calling the game like last week, Pat will pick them apart against the Blitz, which is kind of what Suma was touching on. Fangio almost never goes cover zero, and we saw some of those looks last week against Allen. Uh, Patrick Mahomes against cover zero career, pretty damn solid uh very very strong epa number so i don't know that we'll see much of that but if if they do have to dial up pressure to get at mahomes could be a, a long a long evening for sure uh hitman i want to get your thoughts on the game but i also want to ask you as the the props guy here I, you're much more than just a props guy so i don't mean to just put it into one bucket but um this is being deemed a weather game right a lot of you've seen the total drop a lot of people talking about historically cold temperature for this game. Is this one of those games that you typically target a lot of the skill position players unders based off of what the market is at right now? You know, it's really changed a lot to where years ago, like even as recently as like two, three years ago, like you could wait for the weather report to materialize a little bit and then look to play some unders once like game day, you pretty much know what the weather is going to be like or something like that. Honestly, like, with this game, th these numbers have kind of already gotten suppressed two days out. And especially for the next game we're going to talk about, the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game, like those numbers, like Mason Rudolph and Josh Allen right now are like 30, 35 yards lower than what under what a normal game would be. So a lot of times 
to be honest, it, it's gotten to the point that like in the past, you'd be able to just blindly play every guy under in these weather games and you're going to do well. But the market accounts for it enough in the year 2024 that it's more me just picking and choosing a guy that I would have liked under to begin with. Yeah, the number's a little bit suppressed, but maybe not suppressed enough. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I definitely think that this weather, although like the wind is going to be nothing crazy, when you do get to freezing cold temperatures like this, like with the wind chill, it might be like negative 25 degrees or something like that. It does affect these offense in this game. So I do consider this, despite the wind not being anything crazy, I do consider this a weather game that it's hard for me to play mini overs in this game. We'll put it like that. Um, I think I was talking to Eric yesterday and I was, I asked him shout out to him because I was asking him, I was like, what do you think the chiefs wide receiver rotation is going to be like going into the playoffs every week? It's such a mystery trying to figure out what it's going to be like for the prop perspective. And Eric did say, he was like, you know what? I don't think Kadarius Tony probably plays much. Hardman probably in front of him. Andy Reid just now announced that Tony's probably going to get very limited snaps if he even plays. So I think some McCole Hardman stuff may be worth a look. He has playoff experience with them. He played 100% of the snaps last week. And they said that was to ramp him up for the playoffs. So maybe worth a look on some Hardman stuff. Um, as far as the game goes, you know, the situation, it, it's so pro Kansas City. The injuries are so pro Kansas City, but you just it, – it's Thursday NFL during the playoffs. Like, it's just – it's baked into the line. Kansas City, a minus four and a half. It's it's baked in. As good of a situational and injury spot that it is. So, not nothing much for me on that. For Nicole Hardman, just taking a look right now at Pinnacle, his receiving yardage total for the week is 12 and a half. Uh, so not much in terms of expectations there. And that's pretty much a market consensus price at this point. He's in the 12 and a half receiving yards range. Personally, I cannot trust my number in this game. There's just too many moving parts for Miami right now. Uh, subjectively, it feels to me like it's too many points, but the, the issues with the defense are, are there. And... Uh, it could be one of those games where Kansas City doesn't even look that good and they still find a way to get the job done um, overall. Spagnolo will have some different looks for Tua. Tua last week honestly did not deal with some of those looks very well. Looks like he had predetermined his target long before he was going to even throw the ball. Uh, so we'll have to see how the wide receiving core, O-line, defensive injuries all play out for Miami. A uh, very, very challenging one for uh, Sunday night. We'll get into our third game here. As a reminder, if you enjoy our content here on Ford Progress, don't forget to hit that like button down below and make sure you're subbed here to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this after the fact in podcast form, kindly leave us a review if you enjoy our content. Your support does mean a lot to us, helps us grow our content. So smash that like button down below. Make sure you're subbed here on Forward Progress. Let's move over to Sunday. Early game. It's the Bills hosting the Steelers. It was at one point a disastrous season for the Buffalo Bills. Now they're the number two seed in the AFC. It's funny how the NFL uh, changes and evolves over time, but Buffalo played very well down the stretch, ultimately beating the Dolphins last week to secure the AFC East. The Steelers, on the other hand, they needed some help, but they got the job done. They beat the Ravens backups, kept their playoffs hopes alive. The Jags lose to the Titans, and now we're here with the Bills hosting 
the Steelers weather implications in this one as well. Heavy wind. We saw the total open in the 40s, got bet down immediately, a little bit of buyback towards the over. But ultimately, this is considered a game that will be impacted by the wind conditions. From an injury standpoint, Pittsburgh gets Minka Fitzpatrick back in the secondary, but obviously they lose TJ Watt. Pretty catastrophic injury for them going forwards. On the Buffalo side of things, Rasul Douglas dealing with an injury. Uh, also Gabe Davis, who left last week's game as well. Hitman. We'll start it with you here. Current market at Pinnacle, Bills minus 10 plus 101. So slightly shaded towards the Steelers. Total, as I mentioned, has been bet down. It's now at 36. Weather ramifications for this game. What do you make of the Bills laying double digits to the Steelers here? You know, so this line was on Sunday night. One, There was an opener at one spot on minus eight and a half on this game. And I couldn't have bet it fast enough. I was like, oh my God, like this line like should be minus 11. And mind you, I'm doing like 30 different things to where I didn't even think to look at the weather, where I obviously should have, like I obviously should have. But I thought that was so cheap that that then later in the night, I'm like, oh crap, like th this is not going to be good. And honestly, that's the handicap. Like I think it's pretty much a consensus, like probably with us, but also like the market that, this was a normal weather game. 10 is too cheap between these two teams, especially with Pittsburgh without TJ Watt. Even if you look at just last season, the Steelers defense last year was fourth in EPA with TJ Watt and without him on the field, they were 30th. Like this is arguably the most impactful defender in the entire league. So, but again, I mean, if, if this weather turns out to be something like we got to see from that New England Buffalo game two years ago, then 10 is too high in this. And like Buff Pittsburgh's going to take money because you're just the points. I mean, and the total's too high then also. So it's really as simple as just monitoring the weather for me. Like if it starts to clear up a little bit, I, I think Buffalo 10 is cheap. And if it, it stays really, really bad, then it, probably Pittsburgh at 10. So monitor the weather. And Rob, like you asked me before about how the weather impacts these props, you look at Mason Rudolph right now. Last week against Baltimore, they played in like a driving rain and his prop number closed like 188. And it was really bad weather. Mm -hmm. You have bad weather in this game. Right now, Rudolph is as low as 155 yards. Yep. So... It just goes to my point that this weather stuff gets accounted for earlier and earlier. And for me to bet under 155 uh, under on some of these Pittsburgh guys like Rudolph, like it's going to have to probably be like that New England game. So I think that this may even bring some opportunity to if the wind just ends up bad, not horrific, just not good. It might bring some value towards these overs because the unders have just been getting pounded all week. So there's a lot of money to be made on this game, but it's going to be dependent on what ends up happening with this weather report. Mason Rudolph uh, line at Pinnacle is 158 and a half passing yards right now. There's some comments in here, uh, Eric and Suma. You can touch on them or you can just give a full breakdown of the game. But if we get the three turnovers, Josh Allen, Pittsburgh covers. I mean, Josh Allen gave away like 13 points by himself last week. That's been an ongoing theme this year. Also, Ekshesh, sorry says TJ Wood Watt was good last year. He hasn't been as impactful besides 
sacks this season. Uh, overall, and I'll go with you, Eric. You seem a little bit dumbfounded by that comment, so maybe we'll start start there with the TJ Watt injury and how it could impact them. Yeah, when we were on the stream on Sunday night, I I made the game ten, so I was I was in the same boat as Hitman, and you know it moved out to ten. So I sort of agree with this number. How this the reason is is the TJ Watt thing, right? Alex Highsmith has had a really good year. Everybody looks at the sack numbers. It went from fourteen and a half to seven. A lot of that is because he's been disruptive and moving players into Watts land. He's gone. You look at the back end of the Pittsburgh, you know, they have Miles Jack wearing number 16 and playing linebacker for them. They have Patrick Peterson playing safety. Like it's a mash unit, but no one steps on their dick like the Buffalo Bills this year, right? And that that is like we, we've seen this repeatedly all year. So I it's just it's gonna be an, a nothing for me just because from that from side in total, just because you can't trust Buffalo to do anything right this year. Suma, uh, on your end, uh, are you in the same boat that if this was like good weather conditions, you're probably laying it here with Buffalo, but now you're a little bit skittish because of the wind? Yes, I would have absolutely loved to take Buffalo here. I think it would have been a great smash spot for them, great matchup. But the wind changes everything. And I was just pulling out um, the uh, weather report from the Monday Night Football game, Pats against Bills uh, on December 6th, 2021. And I'm currently looking at basically the exact same type of wind numbers, 22 miles per hour of uh, sustained wind and 47 miles per hour of gusts. And that game back in December 2021 was 22-49. And now we are adding snow into the mix. So this is basically the same weather report all, all over again. But I, I will say, yes, everything um, might be more beneficial for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers because there is going to be more variance in this game. However, I will make a case for the um, Buffalo Bills one game because their run game has been pretty good this season and they have something that the Pittsburgh Steelers do not have. Mason Rudolph is not the 11th guy in the run game. So the Bills are very good at running the football with James Cook against a Steelers front that is going to be without TJ Ward and they can uh, add Josh Allen as the 11th guy in the run game. I think this will still be a major advantage for the Bills in this weather conditions, but I agree that uh, the win makes this game very, very silly to handicap. Uh, funny comment here. Suma with the historical weather reports at his fingertips. Going deep and finding uh, that. Uh, of note, not only Minka Fitzpatrick, but Demonte KZ is back in as well for the Steelers. So they have their starting safety tandem. That's going to be in play. Personally, I've just really struggled with clicking Pittsburgh this week. Uh, with the current weather conditions, I make this game somewhere in the eight to eight and a half-ish range. It's not an extreme amount of value uh, getting the 10 here, but I really do think that this wind condenses the game a lot. Like if you have two teams that are just running the football over and over, and yes, Josh Allen's arm is strong. But we've seen these conditions before where he just cannot throw it downfield. Um, that just makes the underdog a little bit more valuable, especially in a ga game where the total's 36. So very strong lean to Pittsburgh for me. I'll be um, real with the audience. I haven't bet it, and I've been struggling to come to that, uh, to click that button, but I have uh, a strong lean on this one. All right, guys, let's keep it moving here. Fourth game. Dallas Cowboys hosting the Green Bay Packers. Cowboys have won all eight games at AT&T this year. 
That extends their winning streak to 16 games. Only two of those games this year were one possession games. The Cowboys scored at least 30 points in all but one of their home games. It's one of the talking points this week. Dallas at home versus Dallas on the road and how the splits have been substantially different. Now we have Mike McCarthy taking on his old team, the Green Bay Packers. McCarthy revenge game. Lots of revenge games this week. The Packers punched their postseason ticket last week with a win over the Bears. Pretty impressive performance by Green Bay. They were pretty dominant in that effort, although the Bears didn't have Jalen Johnson on the back end. Suma, we'll start with you here. Current pinnacle number is Cowboys minus 7 plus 109. So that's heavily juiced towards the Packers. This is basically in between a 7 and 7.5 number. The total sitting at 50. Do you think the Cowboys home dominance is going to continue here, Suma, or you think the Packers are a live underdog in this game? I think that the home dominance might continue, but probably only on offense because I don't trust that uh, Cowboys defense. I think the the argument against the Packers here is that first playoff start for Jordan Love, very young offense, lots of young wide receivers going against a supposed to be good defense on the road, a loud, loud, loud environment. But when you look at this Dallas defense, they, they have their moments, but overall they cannot defend the rush. They rank 32nd in the league on the season against running back runs in success rate. They rank better in EPA per rush because they were creating turnovers. They rank uh, against the pass 15th in success rate against play action. And that's pretty much the Matt LaFleur offense. They want to run the ball. They want to get into their play action looks. And that, in my opinion, might bode very well against this uh, defense. Um, Green Bay's best run concept is, is inside zone. Aaron Jones is, is averaging 53% uh, success rate on inside zone, 47% on outside zone, those are extremely good numbers. And Dallas defense is allowing 44% success rate on zone runs, which is significantly significant above average. So I think that the Packers offense is set up to have a very decent game. And then while I don't believe that the Packers defense will be able to contain that Cowboys offense, I think that the Packers offense is way good enough to hang in there, maybe go wire to wire and stay within a number that is slightly above a touchdown now. So I think this is a little bit too much for my taste. Um, yes, Dallas deserved to be that a, a bigger favorite against a very young and inexperienced offense, but it's it's an offense that ranks, I think, fourth or fifth in EPA per play, uh, EPA per dropback on the season. They were getting better with more experience throughout the season. I love Matt LaFleur as a play caller. I don't think that the Dallas defense is great. So I think Green Bay has enough ingredients to somehow stay in this game, even though I don't trust Joe Barry and that Packers defense. Dan asks if we're going to get a G-Stack level rant for myself. The difference between me and G-Stack is that I'm not a complete homer. And uh, I can I can be remain unbiased when talking about my teams, unlike George, who thinks that uh, you know the linebacking depth for the the Dolphins is uh, at a level. I mean, they're signing players off the street now. Granted, lots of injuries there. Uh, Eric, tons of comments about Joe Barry. This one made me laugh. Joe Barry got Bryce Young Player of the Week, uh, which is true. Uh, I mean, what do you what do you make of this Green Bay defense against this this high powered Cowboys offense? I mean, my only issue with that is. Tony Pollard sucks. Like the, the like 
the, the biggest thing about the Packers defense is they allow is their the middle of the field run game stuff opens the thing up for the quarterback and the the Cowboys have been the impressive part of the Cowboys is they haven't been able to run the ball worth a shit all year and they've been able to you know tear everybody up uh, with the passing game despite that um, you know this this is moved towards the Packers I make it seven point seven five so there is you know with with the number moving in this direction I guess I lean Cowboys but uh, I do agree with Suma I think that the Packers move the football in sustainable ways now, especially with Aaron Jones, who is one of the few running backs that does actually matter in the NFL and the Cowboys. Um, when you look at their, their, their defense, they kind of do, they're kind of Eagles light in how they do linebackers where their off ball linebackers are kind of not, not soft, but they're kind of they're pass first. And so the, the, the uh, Green Bay Packers, I think can get, uh, you know, some, some play there as well. And they've been balanced uh, offensively in that way. Um, and then in in-game decision-making, I think McCarthy's okay. I think he's very he's underrated there. Um, but aside from timeout usage, uh, Matt LaFleur's terrific on in-game decision-making. And so I think that there's an advantage there. So I, it's going to be tough for me to lay more than a touchdown with Dallas Cowboys here. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of people are in that boat right now. Uh, Michael says, Hitman, CD overs could have 150. And the first thing um, – CD overs, comma, could have 150. The first thing that what you know, I'm breaking down this matchup altogether, and I'm thinking to myself, the Packers have struggled defending slot receivers all year. You're gonna have some looks where it's CD Lamb one-on-one with Keyshawn Nixon in this game, which is gonna be a disastrous matchup. Now, the tendency with these player props, though, especially the marquee players. Um, would be that you're often not going to find value in the overs. You can correct me if I'm wrong there or if you or if you think anything differently. But this particular matchup, Dallas-Green Bay, break it down for us. And also just a, a quick look on C.D. Lamb. And if you're ever really going to find a valuable number betting his over. It's very rare, personally, that I'm betting on a lot of the big-name players just because it's just so much easier for sportsbooks to price these guys because – a lot of times, like when I'm looking at price props, I'm looking for stuff like role changes, target share changes. Like th- th- this player has a better target share with with this wide receiver two injured, stuff like that. And CeeDee Lamb's just a guy that's been consistent pretty much all year. This has been his number. Um, I-, I will say that a lot of times these star players tend to get inflated for these playoff games because you're getting – more and more public money that starts to come into these prop markets. Whereas during the regular season and there's 16 games, it's just not as much prop volume that gets put into just one single game. And like with something like CD lamb, a lot of these books probably get over flooded sometimes with a lot of over money. So, but um, I will say you said that Keyshawn Nixon will be covering CD Lamb. I mean, are we sure that they're not going to have freaking linebackers covering CD Lamb in the slot? Like- you never know. You never know. Like they, 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 the Packers play a high rate of cover three, but they mix in a lot of these random man coverage looks where they, where it makes no sense which, which player covers who. Yeah. It's- I will say if you're if you're looking at one guy that maybe you end up playing an under, maybe closer to post, Jake Ferguson has a, I believe, a nine percent target share against cover three, which we said is the primary coverage at Green Bay's running. So maybe a Jake Ferguson under is what we look at. And CD Lamb, I'm probably not gonna have much involving. If I did play under, I'd be scared as shit. Let's put it like that. Um, 
as far as the game, I, I echo everything that Suma and Eric said. Um, Green Bay's offense since week nine, they're third in EPA per play, third in yards per play, fourth in scoring drive percentage. Like, And they're finally getting healthy. They weren't even healthy during this stretch. And now they might finally have Christian Watson maybe comes back, plays his 40% snaps or whatever he ends up playing. Uh, Luke Musgrave now gives him a pretty good one-two punch at tight end with Tucker Craft. Um, I would have Green Bay, especially at seven and a half earlier, was the side I was considering. Uh, same with me. I think a key name to watch in this game is Jonathan Hankins, who's a defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, when he's out, the run defense has gotten significantly worse for them. They drafted Mazai Smith out of Michigan this year, hasn't done much. Uh, I'll just be very upfront with people. As a Cowboys fan, I'm scared to death of this matchup. Uh, I think the Packers, when they play their complete game, are a lot better than people give them credit for, especially offensively. I also, um, the Cowboys defense has like an appetite for risk, and Green Bay will take these downfield shots. They're not just a team where everything is underneath. Jordan Love has a lot of air yards this year. He attacks downfield. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens here. Personally, if I had to play anything in this game, I think the total is a tad low. I do expect Dallas to be able to score in this game. They're a heavy passing offense. Uh, Jair Alexander is great, but outside of that, Green Bay just doesn't have the defense, the secondary that can cover Dallas's weapons overall. I think ultimately the Packers are forced into a game state where they have to keep pace as well and take shots downfield. So I think 50 is a tad low on the total here, but I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, guys, for a Cowboys win uh, because playoff football, I need it. I need it. Uh, I don't. I don't need Mike McCarthy getting fired and Bill Belichick getting hired to replace him. That's not what we want happening this week, <laughs> which is a very Cowboys thing to do. Um, all right. Before we get into Sunday night football here, for those of you who are interested in some more general betting discussion, I have an interview dropping at 4 p.m. Eastern time today over on the Circles Off YouTube channel with Taylor Cabby. Taylor Cabby is a former pro poker player but he is now the CEO of Establish the Run. ETR, very much known for their prop projections in market and a lot of fantasy advice. I thought it was a really interesting discussion. I'm not just saying that. Uh, I, it, it was solid. So we got through a ton of topics. If you're interested, make sure to check that out on Circles Off on YouTube later today. If you're not sub there, sub there. And if you want to listen in audio form, we do release it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. Link is in the chat posted as well. The Detroit Lions guys are uh, hosting a playoff game for the first time in 30 years, if you haven't heard. It's been a long time, and they are greeted by a very familiar face in Matthew Stafford, obviously having played with the Detroit Lions from the years 2009 to 2020. On the other side, got another type of revenge game, it's current Lions quarterback Jared Goff facing his former team and his former head coach in Sean McVay. All the storylines are there. This is kind of the matchup that everybody wanted to see for these exact reasons. Current market at pinnacle on this one. Lions minus three. Evenly juiced both ways. Total 51 and a half juiced towards the over. Hitman, all of those early three and a halfs got taken out. Do you think there's still a bet to be made here or do you think that the price is too far gone in this game? Yeah, it, um, I was hoping that the three and a halves lasted till till I could till I could uh, we had our best bet and I can 
give out another loser probably. But um, yeah, I, I like the Rams at three and a half at three. I, I think there's very little value st- still left. Um, this Rams offense, like they've averaged 6.7 yards per play this year when they have their guys on the field. And by when I mean their guys, it's Stafford, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, and Cooper Cup. Like just for context, that's 0.1 better than San Francisco, who has one of the best offense in the league. The Lions pass defense, they're 25th in EPA. Like we we know that this is a defense that has been exposed over the, and they've gotten worse throughout the back half of the, of the season. Um, I think that Sean McVay being familiar with Jared Goff is something that maybe isn't being talked about enough. Like, Remember when Goff was the quarterback there, like how there was all that talk about how McVay's talking to him into the headset until it gets to like 15 seconds and telling him what the coverage is and everything. I can't, it's it's very hard for me to think about like another coach that knows a quarterback and knows his weaknesses. Like Jared Goff, as solid as a quarterback as he is, like he does have weaknesses that I think can be exposed. I feel like Sean McVay, is the perfect coach that that could expose that um, on the other side of the ball, like this Rams defense, we knew coming into the year that it was going to be a process with them because they were just so young and they got a lot better as the season went on. They finished 18th in EPA for the season, but they were 13th since week 11. It just makes sense that a young defense with a lot of fourth round rookies, fifth round rookies, they're going to continue to improve throughout the year. So, you know, I'm high on the Rams. I, I, think that they they're they're close to this Lions team as far as power rating. Now I will say that the Lions are going to probably have arguably the biggest home field this entire week, probably along with Kansas City and those frigid temperature frigid temperatures because this crowd, I mean the cheapest seat right now is $600. Kanish made sure that he let me know when he told me my Rams bet was stupid. How big the home field was going to be for Detroit. But so it was pretty I'll big on that. was pretty big on Thanksgiving Day, no? Don't you think that was a yeah. big home field advantage when they got slaughtered at home by the Packers? Yeah. Well, you know what? One thing I've learned is that Lions fans, they're just misery is inevitable. And can you think of a more miserable situation than you host your first playoff game in 30 years and your former quarterback comes in there and beats you? So uh, at three, I lean Rams, three and a half. It, it would be a bad, and you know what? Shop around during these playoff lines. Like, you might see a three and a half pop up somewhere, m- minus one twenty. Like these playoff lines, make sure you shop. I've seen some funny comments right now, which I won't bring up on screen, but some good chat about there. You heard Hitman throw the analysis, the X and O's out the window. Detroit is destined to fail, is basically what he's saying. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Eric, you have been a big proponent of the restore the roar movement. I think the roar has been restored, right? They they won a division. It's there. How much further, though, is this team going? Is this a good matchup for them? I mean, you're very in tune with the Lions, basically, with you jumping on the bandwagon. So break it down for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting on a flight in a few hours to, to Detroit. I'm going to be at the game. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for the Rams. Or, sorry, 600, for the 600 Lions. for your ticket, Eric? 600 a ticket? Yeah, wait, wait a I'm flex, actually, I'm actually embarrassed to say I haven't bought mine yet, so I'm going to be paying a pretty penny for my ticket. Um, so here we go. Uh, but uh, I'm so I'm going to like this is this shows you 
Uh, I'm, I can be unbiased. I'm rooting for the Rams. I'm rooting for the Lions. But Rams plus three up to minus minus one ten is, I think, the right side. I, I look the the Jack Campbell, the first round pick uh, of this of this football team. This middle of the field, if you go to the uh, Sumer Sports playoff preview, uh, they're you know bottom third of the league and covering the middle of the field. Like I, I just think Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. Uh, Matthew Stafford, middle of the field for the uh, you know against this Lions defense. The other part is like Sam Laporte, Sammy Ports, as we as we come to call him here on the on the Hammer Betting Network. Uh, you know, got himself hurt. Uh, I, I just think Dan Campbell. I, I love how aggressive he is, but I think like you know you have a Hall of Fame coach against against a coach who's not. And and I and I think that that's gonna that that might that might hurt uh, the Lions here. So um, to me, I, I think that that's I, I think I make this number two. So yeah, the right side. Sammy Ports devastating injury. I'll tell you. Listen, I'm not a professional football player, but I played some rep rep hockey when I was younger. The bone knee bone bruise was the worst injury I ever had in my life. Couldn't bend my knee for like a week and a half. If this guy plays up. I'm sure he suits up. He's dealing with significant pain if that happens this week. Again, I'm not a pro, but I've dealt with that, and it's miserable. Um, Suma, the Fonz in our chat says, the Rams are a poor man's version of the Lions this year. Detroit's better on both sides of the football. He also goes on to say, Rams 1-6 and six versus playoff teams, not counting the San Fran game last week where they played uh, bench players. Any of this matter to you, and do you agree with any of those statements? Well, I think that the Lions and Rams are probably closer together over the course of the season than some people might think. Um, <laughs> I just pulled out the Kyron Williams splits with and without Kyron Williams on the field. So with him on the field, just being on the field in the formation, the Rams are averaging 0.16 EPA per play and a success rate of almost 48%. Only the 49ers rank better on the uh on the whole season um without him and i excluded the packers game where matthew stafford didn't play and the week 18 game where uh yeah obviously Kyle williams did not suit up but they also didn't have a real quarterback so minus 0.153 epa per play uh successful sub um 40 so for whatever reason Karen Williams is the guy and the 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 whole offensive system seems to be working very well when he's in the formation and the Lions have a phenomenal run defense when you look at like average run defense metrics but there's one run concept where the Lions defense is giving up a 42% success rate and that's exactly the kind of run concept that Rams are the best at and run the most, which is Mandura concepts. Karen Williams is averaging a ripping 0.11 EPA per play and a 50% success rate on Mandura concepts. And the Lions defense is giving up a 42% um, uh, success rate on those ones. So I think that's the way for the Rams offense to move the ball on the ground. And overall, I agree with, with everyone here. Um, three slash three and a half is in my opinion, just, just too many points for a Rams offense that is around top five potential when all their guys are, are playing against a bad or below average uh, Lions passing defense. I, I, I just think that this might be a wire-to-wire -wire game, and I think giving this uh, Rams offense three and a half points or three points uh, juiced is a little bit too many. Uh, I'm with you guys. I can't really add much. 
Um, a little bit concerned about the Lions. I think there's some good points about the, the fact that the offensive line, when they've been together this year for the Lions, has performed really well. But I just see these teams being very similar. Um, I, I, I made my number on the game not accounting for like the Sean McVay against Jared Goff angle either, which I think can only be a positive, personally speaking. Like if we if we just look at what the Rams typically do, it is a very good matchup for Jared Goff. On paper, this is a dream matchup because Goff's numbers against cover three, against quarters, cover six, those are all off the charts good this season. And that's basically the defense that the Rams run. But I have to figure, like I'm just using a, a common sense approach here that Sean McVay knows this in some capacity. Him and Raheem Morris are working on this in some capacity. So I I'm with you guys. I, I think we all lean to the Rams in this game. Michael says the Sumer Sports playoff preview is amazing. I did have a chance to read it in full. It's a lot, but it's actually amazing. And a lot of people in the chat are echoing that as well. It's completely free. You can get it at sumersports.com. There's a download now button right at the top of the screen. I would highly encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. Another creator here at the Hammer and Forward Progress as well is a Cleve TA. He also put out a free playoff preview, which I would suggest reading as well. You can get that at cleveanalytics.com. But both of those should be part of your reading material going into these playoff games if you haven't done so already. There's just a lot of good stuff in there. All right. Uh, Monday Night Football, guys. Last one. Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. Uh, rematch of, of two years ago during Wild Card Weekend. That was a little bit different because Tom Brady was under center for the Bucks. Uh, trivia for for you guys out here, Eric and uh, and Hitman. You might be, you might get this, but the Philadelphia Eagles are the first playoff team to lose five of their last six games and make the playoffs. Do you know the previous team? Putting you on the spot. The '86 Jets. A little bit more recent than that. The oh, I don't freaking know. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, the. The 96 Vi 97 Vikes? No, it's a little bit more recent than that. It it was the 99 Miami Dolphins. If uh, you recall. The team that lost to Jacksonville by like a million? Is that? that? That was the game. Miami made the playoffs after losing five of their last six. That was Dan Marino's final career oh. game. And it was a 62-7 to seven loss to the Jags. I'm not... I'm not suggesting that that's going to repeat people, by the way. Just want to throw it out there because the Eagles did really falter down the stretch here. The Bucks, on the other hand, uh, I mean, they were offering some good prices to win the division about a month ago, and they ended up going out and doing that. Lots of moving parts for this game and mostly within the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts comes out today and says he hasn't thrown a ball yet this week. Uh, dislocated his middle finger. Everybody saw the shot of him giving the middle finger last week and it not looking too good. We have A.J. Brown banged up. We have Devontae Smith banged up. We got Darius Slay banged up in the secondary. So a lot that we don't know as of now. Market has this game, Tampa Bay getting three, minus 115. Total in the game is sitting at 44 in this one as well. Eric, I'll start with you here for Monday Night Football. What do you make of the matchup between the Eagles and the Bucks? Yeah, I think that I think you can only really be on the side of the Bucks here in this game. I know that the Eagles are really good on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and they still are. Um, and, and that and that goes a long way. Um, but you know, 
they they haven't been able to tackle for a month and a half. Uh, they haven't been able to cover anybody for a month and a half. Uh, the Bucks have two, you know, and Chris Godwin has come a long way. His, his uh, you know, target share has gone from about 20% to 28% uh, over the past month or so. He's he's come on really well, which is, you know, saved off a little bit of the regression from Mike Evans, who's been mostly brilliant all year. Uh, Rashad White's been really good in the passing game, which is really going to do well against the kind of really bad linebackers uh, that Philadelphia's got. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield looked to come out of last week's game healthier than he came out of the previous week's game. So I don't know if, if Tampa Bay wins this game, but I think if you can grab the three there, uh, I think it's better than obviously laying the three uh, with the Eagles. Suma, uh, pick this one up here. Eagles and Bucks, your general thoughts. I don't like the Eagles. I, I think they are pretty much limping uh, into the playoffs. Uh, today, there was a tweet that Jalen Hurts has not thrown a single ball since injuring his middle finger on Sunday. Um, we don't know about the extent. If there was anything with that throwing hand, this is bad for the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles look kind of confused on both sides of the football, like they cannot defend anything. They will slay. If, if he plays, he might not be a 100% coming off a small surgery, I think, three weeks ago. Um, Baker Mayfield is banged up, yes, but I still think that the Bucs somehow should be able to score some points on this on this Eagles defense. The Eagles are worst in the league in sack rate on third down with, with that defensive line. So there is something fundamentally not working for this team um, on offense. Season-long numbers, Jalen Hurts against the Blitz, not bad at all. But in recent weeks, there were some situations, especially against Wink Martindale last week, where they had zero answer against Blitz. Guess what? Tampa Bay, Todd Bowles, blitzing at a 30% uh, plus, um, plus clip. I think this this will make it very tough on the Eagles, banged up at wide receiver. Uh, and so... If you, if you would tell me, hey, this is the game where the Eagles will push a button and somehow play up to their standards, be able to run the ball, lean into what they're good at, uh, Jalen Hurts playing better, I mean, okay. But this th this current state of, of the Eagles is a very, very bad defense with a struggling offense. And uh, I I like the Bucks at the current, at the current market. Hey, man, that's uh, two leans towards the Bucks, and just like generally speaking, uh, being down on the Philadelphia Eagles. Are you in the same boat? I would more lean more towards the under. So I know Suma brought up Jalen Hurts against the Blitz, and we know Todd Bowles is going to blitz the hell out of him. Hurts was 20th in EPA per dropback against the Blitz. You obviously have this injury now with who knows how, how it's going to affect them. You have the A.J. Brown being banged up. I mean, I've personally heard that A.J. Brown will probably be fine and that Devontae Smith is a guy that may be a little bit more worried about. And you see so often with especially skill position players that rely on quickness like Devontae Smith does, like a high ankle sprain to come back this quick, like it's derailed a lot of player seasons, specifically a guy that relies on getting in and out of breaks quick because, I mean, what is he, 5'10", 185 pounds or something like that? So I think Smith, I know he said he's going to play, but it just, again, who knows how effective these top guys are for the Eagles in this game. And then you go to Tampa Bay, and Baker Mayfield last week against the Panthers threw for 4.3 yards per pass attempt. 
and 137 yards. I don't know how you lost that bet on Carolina, Rob, like you said. But Baker, and this has been a guy, like he's playing really banged up also. And this has been a, been a guy, like what did we say about when he played in Cleveland and he was really banged up and he was super ineffective in his last season there. We're like, oh, he probably hurt himself and he hurt his value in the league by playing so injured. He's obviously a really tough guy, but he's just not good enough to play at a high level while playing banged up. So I think these injury concerns are noteworthy for both offenses in this game. So I would lean towards under 44. Uh, interesting. I just looked it up because you mentioned Devonte Smith's size. He is listed in the, the NFL as six feet, 170 pounds, which I find hilarious because I'm six feet, 175 pounds personally. So I actually don't even know how he can take a tackle from an NFL pro with that size. But that was one thing that I found uh, pretty interesting. Um, also, I know we're I know we're running long on the show today, but we have to answer this question. Your life is on the line. You need one defensive stop. Are you picking Matt Patricia or Joe Barry to call a play, Eric? Patricia. Suma. Patricia. Hitman. Wasn't even a hesitation in my mind. Patricia, you. you you you're a rocket scientist and you fucking were learning under the best coach of all time. Like you had to have learned something. Just give me one play. I'll make it a clean sweep. I need to Patricia to black out for 30 seconds. Just that's it. That's exactly what needs to happen. Uh, all right, guys, I'm, I'm glad we were able to cover all six games this week, a little bit long for time. I do want to remind everyone out there. We have an action packed week here on forward progress. Tomorrow afternoon, Matthew Friedman, John Legeza, Jack Miller, 2 p.m. Eastern time, breaking down the props board for this weekend's game, top to bottom. Saturday morning, instead of Sunday morning, per usual, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time, pizza buffet with myself. I'll give you my final thoughts on every game for Super Wildcard Weekend, incorporating all the injuries. Again, Saturday a.m., uh, 11 a.m. instead of the usual Sunday. We have three watch-alongs. Three live watch-alongs for this week's games. It's all the night games. So we're starting with Chiefs-Dolphins Saturday, Lions-Rams Sunday, Bucks-Eagles Monday night. Each of those is getting started at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'll fill them with some pregame prop bets. We'll do some in-game live betting. You guys know the drill by now. If you haven't checked it out yet, come watch a game with the members of Forward Progress. It is a jam-packed, top-notch guest list for these watch-alongs this weekend. Adam Chernoff, Drew Dinsick, Joey Kanish, Barry Horse, Suma, Andy Molitor, Jeff Feinberg, Ian McMillan, G-Stack George, a.k.a. No-Stack George, Steve Fezzik, and then rounding out Monday Night Football second half, it's Dr. Eric Eager, and it's Hitman. It's a great guest list. Make sure you tune in. Sub here to Forward Progress. Hit that notification bell. Kick back with myself and some guests for the live watch along experience all right boys let's get into it best bets as is tradition we start with last week's winners first eric as the lone winner last week you're up who do you like and why 
Yeah, as I said, and I, somebody said I was a Freudian slip, I said Rams, but I am rooting for the Lions, but I'm going to uh, go uh, head over heart here. Uh, I like the Rams minus three. I like it out to uh, minus 110 for all the reasons I said before. McVay is a Hall of Fame coach. He showed that this year. I mean, they weren't even, they didn't even sign a kicker until like August this year. Uh, and they really uh, hadn't had one for most of the season that was, uh, you know, above replacement level, but they still uh, were able to put together offense. Uh, that was well above average for most of the season. Uh, they were able to put up defense that was about average all season. Uh, and they they know all Jared Goff's secrets. And and the Lions last week, they had injuries to about you know four or five key contributors. I just think, uh, you know, in this one, three is way too much. Uh, and uh, yeah, so take the Rams plus three minus 110. All right. Plus three minus 110 on the Rams. That's a tough one always. When you're in attendance at the game, cheering for the home team, but you got to bet on, I guess it's a win-win. It's a win-win in that type of situation. Uh, Suma, it's on to you next. There's still time for Hitman to catch you somehow this season with the amount of plays we have left. So this is very important, Suma. Very important. Your best bet this week. Who do you like and why? I'm going to buy a cheese head before Sunday to get the good mojo going, I guess. Um, I like the Packers. My bet is basically on the Packers offense uh, that they have enough talents and potential to stay within the number here. We talked about it. I don't like the Dallas defense overall. They are terrible against the one. They are bad against the one concept that the Packers with Aaron Jones excel in. Pack, uh, Dallas defense, uh, average successful against play action. I think stylistically it bodes very well for the Packers. Uh, yes, it's a very young offense in experience with young receivers, but I, I give Matt LaFleur the, the benefit of the doubt. I think that their offense can... Stay in there, and uh, for that reason, I like the Packers catching seven. Uh, yes, let's go with that. All right, uh, moving on here. Uh, Hitman, since you went 0-2 last week, I'm going ahead of you because I only went 0-1. Uh, I'm going to try to give a winner here. Uh, it's the game we talked about last. There's not a large margin here in terms of room to bet it out to. But I like the Bucks plus three minus one fifteen. I would play that only up to minus one eighteen. Again, fine margins in the playoffs in the NFL, but that's the numbers I have on the game. There's a lot that's going into this that is a little bit of guesswork. But I'm assuming the best for the Philadelphia Eagles offense in that their players are going to play. Anything outside of that is a little bit more upside. I'm just not a believer in the Eagles. I've been fading them for a while now. I don't think the market has truly caught up to how bad this team is, especially on the defensive side of the ball where they cannot stop a nosebleed. The Bucs will try to run the ball. We know that they're going to do some things on first and second down. That will drive us crazy. But if we look down the stretch here, especially since Matt Patricia has taken over for the Eagles, the run defense has really been an issue for them as well. I hold out maybe a little bit more hope for Tampa Bay's offense than I have had in weeks past just because Philadelphia has not been able to stop anyone on the other side of the ball. You got a quarterback who's coming out and saying he can't even throw a ball right now, hasn't thrown it for the entirety of the week. You got banged up number one and number two receiver. I think this is big problems. The Eagles offense down the stretch. I mean, last week against the New York Giants and technically was a game that they were trying to win. They got blown out of the water in the first half playing their starters against that team. Uh, I just can't get to the number here. So uh, I'm taking the Tampa Bay Bucks plus three minus 115 as my best bet. And we're going to end it off here with Hitman. And we're going a little bit different this week. I told Hitman, he's not, he doesn't really like the games. He's, and, and that's fair. That's fair. Doesn't have strong opinions on the games. 
but he does have an opinion on a prop and we're going to let him have it. when you're rec- when you have two wins on the season we're going to let you give out a prop hitman what are you giving out and why all right it's a new season we're at zero and zero right now let's start fresh we're going with a prop if you want me to pick a game next week venmo me i'll give you dm me venmo me i'll give you my venmo whoever sends me the most money i'll pick uh, against your team or that week so your team can win um <laughs> i'm, I'm going to take cj stroud under 245 and a half passing yards so cleveland plays the second most man coverage in the nfl and stroud this year as great of a year as he had 20th out of 32 uh quarterbacks against man coverage and epa per play cleveland also was second in the nfl in pressure rate cj stroud as we mentioned earlier was a little bit more sensitive to pressure than the average quarterback this year. Cleveland, when they faced against Houston's offensive line earlier in the season, without Stroud wasn't the quarterback, but they were able to pressure their quarterbacks 43% of the time. This line closed in the high 250s last week, and that's against the Indianapolis Colts, who, like, when you're playing quarterback overs, the Colts are were this year one of the top teams that we would look to play overs against just because of the play volume that you would get against them, along with just how bad their defense was. I don't think this number is adjusted enough from last week. And let's be honest, last week I bet the over against the Colts on C.J. Stroud's passing yards. Like I got very lucky in that where it took an end-of-a-game drive where Stroud had some ridiculous completions, one of those to Nico Collins on the right sideline on third and long. It was a lucky win, and I just think that the loss of Tank Dell is catching up to Houston a little bit. Um, Noah Brown being banged up in this game. Robert Woods being banged up in this game. Your only real legit weapon right now in the passing game is Nico Collins. Um, The fact that they look to run the ball so often on first and second down, C.J. Stroud's really been killing it off efficiency, but the Browns are a defense that doesn't allow efficiency. I just think the line is at least a few yards too high. So we're going to go with C.J. Stroud under his passing yards. All right. Our final bet there. Our first official prop best bet on the show. We're undefeated in prop bets right now. It's true. We were undefeated, though, in people giving out two best bets in one week as well until last week. And we all know how that ended. So hopefully this, we get a better fate here. We get a better fate. But uh, Eric going with the Rams, Suma going with the Packers, Hitman, CJ Stroud, Unders. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to do it for us here on For Progress Bets, Bets, Best Bets. I want to take a moment to thank everyone again for all the support over the course of the regular season and into these playoffs. Every single one of our viewers, you do matter. Even the ones that piss me off in the comments on a regular basis, I do appreciate you voicing your opinions anyways because it gives us a lot to talk about on the show. As always, smash that like button down below. Make sure you're subbed here. Check out a live watch along with the crew this week as well. For myself, Rob Pizzola, for Eric Eager, for Fabian Somer, for Hitman, for our producer behind the scenes, Jason Cooper, and for our sponsors, Pinnacle Sportsbook, who you should check out. Use code HAMMER if you do sign up. This has been another edition of Forward Progress Best Bets right here on Forward Progress. Everyone, good luck with your bets this week.